17. I would like for us to, at least I pray that we might benefit from this famous story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Soka and Azekah in Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Bethlehem. Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, 
and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. He is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, My dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the enemy to meet the Philistine. 
Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the gates of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. We'll stop there and I'll get a drink. In verses 1 to 3, we have the setting for the big battle. Then, as often happens, life throws us a curveball. The unexpected occurs. A challenging giant appears. In verses 4 to 7, we are given Goliath's size. He was 9 feet 9 inches tall. His armor weighed about 125 pounds. His spearhead, about 15 pounds. Do you realize how tall 9 feet 9 inches is? They're just numbers, right? This is 9 feet 9. 9 feet 9. That's a man. A big man. Got to tell you, Goliath was one big dude. There are many intelligent people in this world who use facts like this as proof that the Bible is full of fairy tales and was written by prejudiced writers who exaggerated and in order to embellish and make the story and God more interesting. In February of 1905, 115 years ago, England had an exhibition at the London Hippodrome. Russia participated and presented a man named Moshnow. Moshnow was only 9 feet 8 inches tall. He weighed 448 pounds. His chest measured 60 inches. And his feet were 24 inches long. That's the distance from here to here. The original Bigfoot. Goliath is not a valid excuse that the Bible exaggerates. God has presented His Word to mankind as the truth. Therefore, we would be eternally wise to always accept it as the absolute, never-changing truth. In verses 8 through 10, 
we have the giant's challenge. He wants a man to fight him one-on-one. The army of the loser must serve. The winner, excuse me, the winner has to get the other team, army, to serve them. Who in Israel's army should have fought Goliath? Saul. If you turn back to chapter 9, verse 2, we read that Saul, from his shoulders upward, was taller than any of the people. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. God tried to warn Israel through Samuel about wanting to have a man for their king. 1 Samuel 8, verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They wanted a man that they could see Not an invisible God. They didn't get what they were hoping for, did they? Beware of what your heart desires. If your heart wants and gets something that controls your life and thoughts more than God, you are doomed to disappointment. And you will forfeit God's power in your life. Israel made a tragic mistake when they decided that they would be better off with to trust and follow the leadership of a man rather than serve and submit to the authority of the living God. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. In verse 11, we have the result of Israel's choice. Saul and Israel's army is at the brink of defeat because they have no one to put their faith and trust in. Do you know what the opposite of faith and trust is? It is insecurity and fear. If you are plagued with feelings of insecurity or fear, perhaps you should consider what or who you're placing your trust in. In verses 12 through 15, we're given information about David and his family. In verse 16, we read that 80 times the Philistine presented himself and proudly took his stand against the armies of the living God. In verse 43, he curses David by his gods. Those of this world have no reservations about boldly taking a public stand for murdering unborn babies, for promoting homosexuality and alternative lifestyles, for excusing all forms of adultery and immorality, 
for loving all kinds of filthy art, literature, music, pornography, etc., etc. What have you and I taken a public stand for and against in the minds of those that we are around each day? What do we stand for? The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Neither should we be. We should be ready and willing to boldly take our stand for our Lord Jesus, for this Bible and the truth of the gospel. In verses 17 and 18, we have Jesse's concern for his sons. If verse 19 wasn't so pathetic, it would be a joke. None of them are fighting. In verse 20, we can begin to see and note some specific things about David's character. He was diligent and prudent to rise early. He was faithful in little things by making sure his sheep had a keeper in his absence. And he was obedient to his father by being willing to serve in little ways. This brings us to the interesting 21st verse. Why did the Israelites go through the ritual of putting on their armor those 80 times? Does that strike you as being a bit silly or foolish? They did that for 40 days. And they all knew they weren't going out to fight the giant. Why are they doing it? Just because that is what soldiers are expected to do. May I ask you, on behalf of God, why did you come to this chapel today? Is it because your heart was overflowing and bursting with desire to offer love and worship to your God? Is it because you're hungering and thirsting to know your living God better? Is it because you wanted God to put His finger on an area of your life that needs to be changed or strengthened? Or are you simply here because that's what's expected of you? Just going through the motions. I wonder if some of us appear as foolish to God as the soldiers in verse 21 do to you and me. Ephesians 6 tells us that God has provided each of His followers with spiritual armor. 
Do we even bother to put it on each morning in order to fight our own giants? No mistake about it. We all have giants. Someone out there may be thinking, what do you mean, giants? Well, I'm glad your mind asked that question. A giant is anything that comes into your heart, mind, or life in which you in your own strength or lack of willpower are powerless and unable to defeat. That's a giant. I have a list of some giants that are lurking in our culture. Money. Thinking or wishing you had enough money to buy something you just can't stop thinking about. Possessions. Coveting something you want that God hasn't provided. Simply discontentment. Food. Compulsive overnourishing oneself. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. It just calls it gluttony. I remember one time when I was a teenager, my dad asked me, Terry, do you eat to live or live to eat? I don't remember exactly how I answered that. But I do remember why he asked me. Oh, here's a big giant. Television. Some of us lack the strength to simply push the off button. Cell phones, computers. Some people would no longer know how to live without them. It's in front of them all the time. They do have strong thumbs, I guess. Oh, here's a biggie. Sports. Coronavirus sure has made it possible for people to take a good look at how dominant the sport giant is in their life. Sleep. Just not able to get up in time to start the day with the Lord. That's a giant. There are giants in what is called character flaws. Bad temper. Uncontrolled anger. A giant many people can't control. An unforgiving, bitter spirit. What a powerful giant that one is. Envy, jealousy. Having, or even worse, expressing a critical judgmental spirit. Being easily offended. Sadly, <laughs> if we turn this message into a discussion, 
we could fill the rest of this time with giants that we could all name. One could easily become quite discouraged when honestly evaluating him or herself. But we have a powerful, loving God who has given us David's life as a practical example of how giants can be defeated. These next few verses provide us with some things we can do to defeat our giants. In verses 22 through 25, David hears the challenge, sees the reaction, and is shocked at what Israel is allowing Step one, to defeat a giant. Develop a fervent love of God that compels us to zealously defend His honor. Develop a fervent love of God that compels us to zealously defend His honor. Note verse 26. Why does David ask these two questions? The men have already answered the first question in verse 25, right? I think David wanted it both known and reported to Saul that he resented the disgrace and indignity done to Israel and God by Goliath. David could have easily presumed upon his previous influence in Saul's court. He had been Saul's armor bearer and had a place of prominence and closeness to Saul. Why not go directly to Saul and volunteer? I suspect that his humility and meekness prevented him. So he found an inconspicuous, tactful way to volunteer. This brings us to a second necessary step in defeating a giant. We must have the appearance and a spirit of genuine humility and meekness. If there is any hint of arrogance or self-confidence, beware. We just might be trying to approach the battle or task in our own puny strength. Verse 28 highlights a third necessary requirement when attempting to defeat a giant. Don't get discouraged when those around you criticize and misunderstand you. It's quite likely that somebody will. Eliab's statements to David are shocking. He tries to grieve and discourage David. He tries to quench his zeal for wanting to do something for God's glory. He belittled him and made him out to be some idle, proud kid not worth noticing. But look at David's response to that public criticism in verse 29. What have I done wrong? Don't I have a good reason to be here and to feel this way? 
Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who, ru- he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. What a gracious, controlled response from David to his brother Eliab. In verse 31 through 32, David's words are reported to Saul and Saul sends for him. There in front of Saul, David officially accepts Goliath's challenge. What I find really remarkable is as David is accepting Goliath's challenge, it appears that he's not even sure how he's going to fight him. I marvel at the fervency of David's love for God and the extent of his faith in him. This brings us to a fourth necessary step in defeating a giant. It is essential that we trust God and his enabling power with all of our heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 states, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is completely his. In verses 33 through 37, David has to defend his faith in God because Saul is full of doubts. Why didn't David think he was crazy for totally going up against that powerful giant? It was reasonable for David to accept the challenge on the basis that he has already proven his God. How did David get this strong love, faith, and confidence in God? I think it came from what he learned and practiced in his youth. I thought of three things that David probably did that we would be wise to try and copy. First, he knew how to meditate on God. He must have spent hours thinking about and worshiping God. He wrote half the Psalms. He had so few of any of the Scriptures. Yet he knew so much about God. How? I believe God delights in revealing Himself to those who are really interested in knowing Him better. Without opening your Bible, do you think you could spend one hour this afternoon just meditating, thinking about, and delighting in your Lord? We have the complete Word of God. How much more should we know about God than David did? 
A second thing that strengthened David's spiritual growth was his occupation. He was a shepherd. David had to learn how to care for, protect, serve, and love those dumb sheep that he'd been entrusted with. He had to develop the habit of putting the interests and welfare of others before his own. The welfare of his sheep became a major priority in his daily routine. A good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. As David learned and reflected on all that was involved in shepherding, he must have thought a lot about God's wonderful care of him. Thus, David blessed us with Psalm 23. Some of you young people are approaching that time of life when you try and decide what to do after high school. I have a suggestion. And if you don't like it, you're certainly welcome to throw it out into the parking lot and let all the cars run over it when we leave. I suggest you consider choosing a future employment that enables you to help, serve, and be a blessing to others in some way. There's only one thing in this world that lasts forever, and that is people. Invest your life in loving and serving eternal souls. The third thing David learned in his youth was the importance of being competent. He spent the necessary time in equipping himself to do his job with excellence. I'm sure he spent hours and hours and hours refining his skill with a slingshot. He understood that sheep have enemies and that he would need to be able to defend and fight for his sheep. When a lion or a bear grabs one of the lambs, a shepherd can't just sit back and say, well, there goes one less lamb. No. Lions and bears are just like us. After a while, we get hungry again. They would return to where they could get another free meal. Love, preparation, and faith in God's protection made David ready for defense. What about you and me? God has provided us with spiritual armor to help us in our battles with our enemies and giants. All of the armor is for our protection and defense, except for one piece. And it's not a slingshot. It is the sword 
of the Spirit, the Word of God. The only way to defeat a giant is to defeat is to use that sword. And it takes a lot of time and practice to use it skillfully. Why do you think it is that many of us don't win all of the spiritual battles we encounter each day? Turn to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Verses 2, 3, and 4 list all kinds of sinful attitudes and practices. And note verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. If you and I were to be asked, do you deny God's power? We all know that we should emphatically say, no. But I wonder if when one of our giants presents itself, we focus on the giant's power and forget and then deny that God's strength and power is available to defeat that particular giant. David understood that the battle is the Lord's. And no one defeats God. But note, David did not approach his giant unarmed. If you have an area in your life, a giant, you have been unable to defeat, take the time to memorize two or three relevant verses or passages that God can use to strengthen your faith and enable you to defeat that giant with the sword of the Spirit. In verses 38 and 39, why does Saul give in to letting this young man go and fight that powerful giant? The welfare of the entire nation was at stake. And this kid doesn't even know how he's going to fight him. I think there must have been something about David's manner and his convincing confidence and faith in the power of God that affected Saul. David tried on Saul's armor, but Saul's armor didn't fit David. A fifth requirement for defeating a giant is to allow God to utilize the spiritual gifts He has entrusted to you. Each of us is unique. You and I may face a similar giant in our lives. But God has equipped each of us uniquely. Trust Him to reveal to you what He wants you to do. 
I find verse 40 so powerful. What a dramatic moment it must have been as the army of Israel watched young David descend into that valley. You can only try and imagine the indescribable emotions that overwhelmed Eliab and his brothers as they watched their youngest brother descend into that valley to probably get killed. David stopped at the brook and chose five smooth stones. According to 2 Samuel 21 verse 22 and 1 Chronicles 20 verse 5, Goliath had four giant relatives. Seems like giants always have relatives and like-minded buddies. And sadly, (laughs) one victory doesn't ensure continual permanent success. In verses 41 to 44, it is a proud, confident Goliath who scornfully curses David. But the giant's words were like the proverbial water off a duck's back. Because David possessed an impenetrable piece of armor. The New Testament calls it the shield of faith. In verses 45 to 47, God reveals David's motivation and reasons for fighting Goliath. He was a servant and representative of the living God. He could not tolerate Goliath's taunting and defiance of his God. He wanted the whole world to give his God glory. And he knew the battle was the Lord's. David had 100% confidence in God as he ran toward Goliath in verses 48 and 49. Don't forget, David was human with the same passions and emotions that we have. I'm sure his adrenaline was flowing big time with his emotions. David slays his giant in verses 50 and 51. As David skillfully released that one small stone from his sling, all of those hours of practice and preparation were totally worth it. But actually, there was a zero in 100 million zillion chance that God was going to allow that little stone to miss its target. God enabled David to bring Goliath down and defeat him. But notice, God left it up to David to cut off the giant's head. Why did the Philistines flee? Because the battle was the Lord's. And they realized that they and their gods were powerless before Israel's and David's God. Look at how David's faith impacted 
the entire army of Israel. Pure faith in God will greatly affect and encourage others. In Matthew 17, verse 20, our Lord Jesus makes a most amazing statement. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Wow! God's strength and power doesn't require a truckload of faith. Faith the size of a tiny mustard seed that comes from a heart that 100% loves and trusts the Lord can move a mountain. And brothers and sisters, what's a giant compared to a mountain? Remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Victory is the result of the quality of our love and faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incident in history where David gave us such a marvelous example that we can copy and emulate We do love you and we do have a measure of faith, but it's not what it ought to be and it's not what we want it to be. We ask for your help. Help us in our weakness. May we be humble. May our love for you grow to the point where we have a strong love and faith like David. We just pray that It wouldn't just be another message, but that we truly would try and act upon upon what we've learned in this chapter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.